the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. So in other words, what God is looking for, if we really want to show Him reverence, we will live our lives in such a way that we live publicly and privately with moral integrity. We want to honor God through lives that are lived with moral integrity. Who's the one who's going to be able to dwell in the Lord's sanctuary? Who can live on His holy hill? Those who live a life with moral integrity. Show your reverence for God by the way that your walk is blameless before Him. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. New Christians sometimes make the mistake of thinking that by going to church, they're doing that all they need to do to honor God. Pastor Gary teaches today that to truly honor God, we must live lives with consistent moral integrity. This means that each and every moment we are to pursue godly living in all things. We are to speak, serve, teach, and act as though Jesus would. Though these things will often be contrary to our human nature, they will lead us to fruitful lives. Start each day with the hope to live it out as Jesus would have. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 9 for today's message titled, Showing Reverence for God. We're going to put rings on the outside and we're going to pass poles through these rings because the way that you transport the Ark of the Covenant was for the priests, four, one on each end, to hoist up the Ark of the Covenant with the poles on their shoulders. You see, because the Ark of the Covenant was representative of the presence of God, they were in effect lifting up God. We're going to lift up the Lord. This is the way that they we're supposed to transport it by this picture. Hoisting it up, raising up, if you will, lifting God up on your shoulders. He's worthy of our worship. We're lifting him, him up, all right? Not, not to be put in a cart and dragged by farm animals. That's what they did. So it's the reason then when the oxen stumbles, it doesn't even say that the ark started to slide, but Uzzah, anticipating it, I guess, puts out his hand to steady the ark of the covenant. And what happened in that moment is that an unholy man had contact with a holy God and he was stricken dead. It should never have been in a cart. There should never have been oxen. 
It should never have been dragged behind farm animals. The presence of God represented by the Ark of the Covenant was to be hoisted on the shoulders of the priest. God was to be lifted up and exalted in that sense. He was to be treated with reverence and holiness. When David goes back, we won't read the rest of it, but he does it the right way. And he transports the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And through this time, he writes Psalm 15. Lord, you're so holy. Who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Now, in the context, David is speaking about Jerusalem. He wants Jerusalem to be the holy hill where God is present. And the temple of God will end up being built there. But in answer to his questions, look now back in Psalm 15. He's going to give us a list of some things that will help us how to show reverence for God. In recapturing reverence for God, David, when he writes Psalm 15, he says, here's a list of some things that you can do to show reverence for God. Now, depending on how you count the list here in Psalm 15, you can either come up with 8, 9, or 11, depending on you know, how you enumerate everything here. But in order to kind of uh, simplify it, I've put it into three categories. When you look at the things that he says following the initial questions in verse 1, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And then he gives a list. Here's a list of what identifies someone who shows reverence for God. And they can be broken down into these three categories. Our walk, our words, and our ways. Our walk, our words, and our ways. Notice here, starting with our walk. He asks in verse 1, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live on your holy hill? Answer, verse 2, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. God demands right living from us. Now, when you look at this and you go, wow, I mean, who whose walk is blameless? You know, I'm, I'm not sure I can check the box on that. Well, they, they, it doesn't mean perfect. The word blameless in the Hebrew is tamim, and it means moral integrity. He says here, if you want to show reverence for God, walk with moral integrity. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean your strut, okay, or your gait, or your saunter, okay? It means your way of life. When it speaks about your walk in the Bible, it speaks about your conduct, your behavior, your way of life. And tamim means moral integrity. So in other words, what God is looking for, if we really want to show him reverence, we will live our lives in such a way that we live publicly and privately with moral integrity. We want to honor God through lives that are lived with moral integrity. Who's the one who's going to be able to dwell in the Lord's sanctuary? Who can live on his holy hill? Those who live a life with moral integrity. Show your reverence for God by the way that your walk is blameless before him and that you do what is righteous. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In Proverbs 14, 2, it says, He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. And by the way, this takes some time, okay? When you become a Christian, you have to learn how to walk, so to speak. Just like when, you know, when you're a little baby and you, be, and, you, and you started, you know, holding on to things first and then you started, you know, walking on your own and it's, it's cute to watch a little toddler learn how to walk for the first time, okay? It takes a little practice. Sometimes you're going to fall down, got to pick yourself back up. So it is true with a Christian. 
Learning to walk as a Christian takes some time. You will stumble from time to time. It's okay. God is gracious, but get back up and walk a life of moral integrity. You know, Paul in Colossians 3, he talks about how we used to walk in certain ways before we got saved. In Colossians 3, 7, he says, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So Paul says, listen, you know, there's a reality that when we get saved, there's an old life and there's a new life. Don't keep walking like the old life. Walk in a way that brings honor and reverence to God because you desire to walk with moral integrity in your public life and in your private life. So he says, you can honor God by your walk. And then he says, we also bring reverence to God, secondly, by our words. By our words. Now, you'll notice with me, if you kind of saw it as we were reading through chapter 15, the most predominant theme in chapter 15 is our speech. It's the most predominant thing. I'll highlight it with you. Look again in your Bibles. Look at verse 2. Last part of verse 2 says, here's somebody who, who has reverence for God, who speaks the truth from his heart. Who speaks the truth from his heart. Verse 3, who has no slander on his tongue. Second part of verse 3, who casts no slur on his fellow man. And then the last part of verse 4, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Of the entire list of all the things that David says, this is a man or this is a woman who shows reverence for God, half of those things have to do with your speech. Words matter. Words matter. And God hears every word that we speak. And God hears every word that we think. Nothing escapes the ear of God. Words matter. And so therefore, if you are the kind of person who likes to talk a lot, you got a bigger challenge. Because if you like to talk a lot, if you have to get the gab, you're the one who's more likely than someone who doesn't talk very much of saying things that you'll later regret. So if you have the gift of gab, you have to work even harder at measuring everything that you say. Because words matter. Some people talk more than others. Now, ladies, (laughs) don't shoot me. But did you actually know that there's a biological study that explains why, in general, women talk more than men? Yes. In fact, I'll read it to you. Three years ago, the University of Maryland's School of Medicine actually found a brain protein that causes someone to talk more than someone else without the protein. And so in the study conducted by researchers at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, it says there may be biological evidence to support the idea that women are more talkative than men. Psychiatrist Luann Brizendine reports that the average woman speaks about 20,000 words a day while the average man utters about 7,000 words a day. Which is the reason, listen, this is going to be helpful. This is going to liberate some of you because this is the reason why when a guy comes home at the end of the day, after a long day at work, he like mutters one word, answers. It's like, how was your day? Fine. Did anything happen? No. Was it a good day? Yeah. You want dinner now? Whatever. 
okay? Because see, that guy's already used 7,000 words, all right? But the wife, she's only one-third through her day. But what they've actually discovered here, according to Science Magazine, published in the Journal of Neuroscience, is a protein language element called, they've labeled it, the FOXP2, the FOXP2 language protein found in the brains of women that may account for disparities, the survey says, the study says, for disparities in verbosity. Okay. Now, here's what they did. The researchers first analyzed FOXP2 levels in young rats. Okay. And they discovered that the chattier rats... I didn't know there were chattier rats than other rats. <laughs> I didn't even know that there were. But anyway, the chattier rats had more of the FOXP2 protein in their brains than the reticent ones. So... I don't know, it doesn't apply to, to every marriage in every gender specific, but you know, ladies, you and generally you generally do have the foxy protein. That's what's going on there. The foxy protein. So just understand when a guy comes home at the end of the day, he's used to seven thousand words plus. He's not trying to ignore you, he's not trying to be mean, he's just done with his words. So look at it this way. A man just has a very limited vocabulary. That's the answer, right? And so you ladies, you just know how to talk better. Anyway, so here we go. But because, because our words can get us into trouble, whether you talk a lot or talk a little, weigh your words carefully. He says here in verse 2, you want to honor the Lord, you want to have reverence for the Lord, then speak the truth from your heart. Someone who says what he means and means what he says. That there's no hidden meaning in his words. That there's no hypocrisy between what he or she is secretly thinking but openly saying. That there is sincerity and honesty in your words. That you're not given to rumors or gossip with your words. You want to revere the Lord? Also, verse 3, the one who has no slander on his tongue. Slander and gossip are widely accepted in our culture. People like juicy information. It sells magazines and gets ratings. But what God wants of us are people who do not attempt to ruin another's reputation. People who do not malign others' name or character. In Titus 3.2 it says, Remind people to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. In 1 Peter 2.1 it says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. David goes on to say also in verse 3, who casts no slur on his fellow man. The Hebrew word there means to shame or disgrace. Don't shame or disgrace other people. This is talking about a man or woman who does not say things that are humiliating or disgracing about other people. Someone who does not say things that are racist or prejudicial. Because in that way you would be slurring your fellow man. Don't do that. You want to have reverence for God? Don't slur your fellow man. David also adds in verse 4, and one who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Oh, there's a good one. Underline it in your Bibles. How many times have we made promises that we have not kept? How many children have we hurt and spouses that we have disappointed because we did not follow through with what we said we would do? How many times have we made excuses for why we didn't do what we said we were going to do? A man or a woman who wants to honor and revere God keeps his or her oath even when it hurts even when it's not convenient, even when later you wish you hadn't said it. You know, look, you know what is wiser than to rashly make a promise about something that later you can't keep? 
is to don't make the promise up front. Just keep expectations low and say, I'll do my best. Say things like, I'm going to try that. I certainly want to do that because I have the best intentions. But the moment you say, I will do that, the moment you make a promise, you better follow through because he or she who doesn't shows that you dishonor God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. And then he adds, anything other than that comes from the evil one. That Satan himself loves to inspire us to say ridiculous things with our words. Be true to our word. Be a person of your word. Psalm 19, 14 says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God cares about our words. And finally, on this list of these categories, we show reverence for God, number three, by our ways. And he points out here the way that we treat our neighbor. And he says that reverence for God is expressed by the way that we treat one another. He says in verse three, if you want to show reverence for God, do your neighbor no wrong. Do your neighbor no wrong. Now think about your neighbor for just a moment. I'm talking about specifically the people who live near you. Okay, everybody in a sense is our neighbor. But just for the moment, think about your neighbor. Think about people who live near you, okay? Do your neighbor no wrong. Now, neighbors can be quirky. Neighbors can be weird, all right? I don't say that to judge them because they think the same about us. We all have a little quirky weirdness about us. But when it comes to our neighbors, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. David says here, if you want to show reverence for God, do your neighbor no wrong. He also says further down in verse 4, someone else who shows reverence for God despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. It's okay to hate things that are evil. We cannot love what is good unless we also hate what is evil. If someone is vile and disgusting and evil, you should note that. Hate what is evil. Psalm 97.10 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But then he also adds in verse 4, but honor those who fear the Lord. Give some people dignity. Show people respect. Treat them with honor who fear the Lord. In verse 5, he also adds another way that we show reverence to God is that we lend our money to other people without usury, and we don't accept a bribe against the innocent. Now, usury itself is, is not bad in the sense that interest is not something that is bad, but the The context is, do not ever use money to do harm to people financially. So don't take advantage financially of other people who are less fortunate. Don't hold things over their heads financially. And certainly don't take a bribe against the innocent. Make sure that we never use finances as a way to mistreat people. So all these things he lists here, okay? In answer to the questions, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He who is blameless and upright and does what is righteous. And then he lists all these things about our our walk and our words and our ways. But now, don't miss this. Where is the sanctuary of the Lord? Where is his holy hill? In the context, David was speaking of Jerusalem. He wanted Jerusalem to be that place 
where God would be worshipped and Jerusalem would be central to the worship of Israel. And that Mount Zion would be the holy hill of God. But where is the temple of God today? There is no temple in Jerusalem. The Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D. Is Jerusalem still a holy city to God? Yes, it is. But all that David wrote about there in Psalm 15 was a picture of a greater sanctuary and a picture of a greater holy hill. Because in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, listen to this, in Hebrews 8, 5, it says that the priests who performed their duty in the temple served in the sanctuary that was a copy and a shadow of the sanctuary in heaven. In Isaiah 66, verse 1, God says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. In Acts 17, 24, Paul, when, he's, when he was preaching to the people of Greece, he said, The God who made the heavens and the earth is Lord of the heavens and earth and does not dwell in temples made by hands. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God is not present here? This is a temple for the Lord that was built by human hands? No. No, God dwells with us, okay? He is among us, but he is not restricted here. That the ultimate sanctuary of God is in heaven, and the ultimate high and holy hill is in heaven. So here begs the greater question. Because God exists, and because God is holy and we are not, who may dwell in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may live in your holy hill? How is it possible we can have access to your presence in heaven, given the fact that we are all unclean, unholy, and unrighteous? The answer, the cross. What Jesus did for us by dying on a cross. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That in this wonderful, profound, miraculous mystery, Jesus Christ dies on a cross. His life in exchange for our life, his righteousness exchanged for our unrighteousness that we might receive his righteousness by faith because of what he did on the cross. You know how you get access? You know the answer to the ultimate question? Lord, how do you dwell in your sanctuary? How can we live on your holy hill? by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, Christ became for us our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. I have nothing holy to offer God. You have nothing holy to offer God. But God's Son offered His life as an atoning sacrifice for us on the cross so that if I believe in what Jesus did for me, I receive His holiness. I receive his righteousness. So that one day, in Jude verse 24 and 25, it says, he will keep me from falling to present me before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. If you want access to the presence of God when you die, that you might be accepted in the sanctuary of heaven on his holy hill, then invite Jesus Christ into your life and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. 
We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person, too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.